I am carrying on um, with our Wild Wonder series, looking at the book of John, specifically chapter six. And Johnny last week looked at Jesus calming the storm and walking on water, addressing the lasting peace, the fresh, eternal perspective and renewed purpose for God's people as he moves towards us. But I want to start by asking you all the question. This requires participation. You will have to raise your hands. During lockdown, who here had a sourdough starter and made sourdough bread? Less than I thought, actually. You know when social media just tells you that everyone's doing it apart from you? I didn't do it. Um, Specifically now for you guys, did you feel more wholesome more centered as a person every time you kneaded, baked, and then feasted on the works of your hands. I'm looking for nods or shake, yeah? Yeah, well, if you... <laughs> there is something nourishing, something nourishing and wholesome and beautiful about making something and then enjoying it yourself. But my next question is to you guys, how quickly after devouring your avocado sourdough on toast did you then look across at the vacant bread bin where the loaf had been and thought, oh, I have to do it again, right? I didn't make any, could you tell? I wasn't as creative. Um, The reason that I'm asking so many questions about sourdough is because today we are talking about bread. Can you see the link that we made there? Um, If you missed the talk last week, do catch up online. Johnny took us up to verse 29 within chapter 6 and pointed us how how we get to join with Jesus in... in, Oh my gosh, I'm going to start that sentence again. We get to join in with what Jesus is doing, but this starts with believing in him, not putting faith in things that spoil but setting our hearts on him and trusting in him, which leads us then beautifully into this next section. So we're going to be reading from verse 30. I'm going to read it out, but I think it's going to come up on the screen as well. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see, see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, I did say we were talking about bread. I think it says it in every other sentence there. But like in so many regions, bread was and is a pivotal component of the Middle Eastern Mediterranean diet. Bread is used throughout the Bible in both a physical sense as well as imagery or a metaphor to represent, to point towards different areas of God and faith. And so this declaration that Jesus makes in this passage, I am the bread of life, 
is entrenched in meaning and symbolism that has gone before, but also signifies something so much more, more poignant, more inspiring, more wondrous than you or I might initially think of when we think of bread. So we're going to work through some of the verses. We'll start with verse 30. I'll read it out again. So they asked him, what sign will you do? What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. For some context, this manna and wilderness is in reference to Moses and the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were walking through the desert for 40 years to get to the promised land. It was at the moment when the Israelites felt most broken emotionally and physically. They were exhausted and frustrated that the Lord showed them how he provides. John referred to it in the first week as cornflakes, um, but that's not a far-off description of what manna actually is. Each morning when they woke up from their camp, this thin, frost-like substance was ready and waiting for them. And the Israelites were directed to take only what they needed for that day. On the occasions where they took any more, it rotted and spoiled. This manna came to be a representation of the Israelites' obedience and trust with their understanding of how and when God was to deliver what they needed specifically for that day. And this theme of bread as sustenance continues through the New Testament. By this point in the narrative of the chapter of chapter 6, Jesus has already taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We looked at that when we did our series on the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And two weeks ago, we unpacked the above and beyond provision with the loaves and the fish and the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus is setting up and displaying the importance and the abundance of his ability to provide for the crowd that has begun to follow him. So if we're exploring this topic of provision and sustenance, I just want to pause here to ask you another question. Take a moment to think, what do you need? In this moment, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What do you need? Is it more money? Is it a promotion? Is it a different job? Is it a new boiler? A new wardrobe? Is it more time? Is it for a relationship to shift in a certain way? There are always things that pull on our hearts. These desires that we fixate on and are sometimes engulfed by. Thomas Aquinas, who is a medieval thinker and theologian, once asked the question, what would it take to satisfy human desire? And after a lot of study and thinking and reading, he came up with the answer, everything. What would it take to satisfy human desire everything. The human soul is constantly searching. 
Our needs are constantly rolling over from one thing to the next. To be content can sometimes feel like this far off, unachievable aim. And like the Israelites in the desert, we crave satisfaction, resolution. We call out and shout out to God to help us to fulfill these needs. And God wants that. He wants our petitions. He wants to provide. He is a loving Father. We see that in the next verses. From verse 32, it says, Jesus then said to them, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father, this is God the Father, who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they say, always give us this bread. God wants to fulfill your needs. That's actually not too radical of a thing to say because he is and promises to be what we sometimes call Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord that provides. It's in his name. So when Jesus makes a promise, we, like the Israelites in the desert and the crowd in this moment, might automatically then say, well, Lord, give us this bread. But he develops and establishes this kind of bread as something actually different, something so much more. See, throughout the whole book of John, Jesus is unpacking different aspects of his nature using I am statements. And I think this moment of explaining himself as the bread of life is perhaps the crescendo, the most important moment within this chapter. He says it in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is making an important distinction here. He's saying, Not only do I provide for you, but I am your provision. Not only do I love to give you good gifts of love and joy and peace and hope, but I am love and joy and peace and hope. What you are searching for is not only from me, but it is me. Does that make sense? By declaring I am the bread of life, he is saying I am a superior kind of provision. Things or solutions cannot bring long-term resolution because there will continuously be more things or solutions that will need his help. But what we are ultimately searching for, desperately looking for, is him. This bread that he is defining is not about doing or working or solving. It's about believing and trusting and about dependency. And so I wonder what emotions that brings up in you. Because for me, it brings up fear, actually. Because I have to let go of control. It takes a moment of surrender, a moment of acceptance that Jesus Christ is enough. And that's hard. 
Human nature is to want to control, to understand, to find solutions for ourselves. And don't, give me wrong, don't get me wrong, I'm not giving permission for passivity right now. I think there is a moment to wait, but there are also moments to get up and go. But as humans, we have our limitations. Take a very superficial example of this. A brief interlude. I want us all to think about aliens. <laughs> and let me set you this challenge. Um, I want you in your mind to create an alien, but you are not allowed to use any human or animalistic features. Even more so, you cannot use any materials or objects or colors that might be recognizable to the human brain. How are you doing? Have you got something? I would be impressed if you did, right? It needs to be something that's totally not from, that, not from this earth, and that's hard. Every alien from every film, from Men in Black to Stranger Things, despite how hard the creative teams try, all have features and body parts and textures and colors that we know and recognize. If you have come up with something new, let me know. I'd be impressed. Or maybe patent it. The point I'm trying to make with that is as much as we might refuse to admit it, there is at times a limit to our understanding. There are points that we cannot see ahead. We cannot think any further. We have reached the end of ourselves. But that's not the case for Jesus. As it says in Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. When stating, I am the bread of life, Jesus is not promising control, but he is promising security. To be safe in the knowledge that he is our provision, our portion in all things, he is the source. And the iterations of this being innate in God's character is backed up throughout scripture. We get in Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Psalm 91, I will say of the Lord, you are my place of safety and protection. You are my God and I trust you. And 1 Corinthians, you, uh, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Life is not about this equation that we solve. And I'm sorry if that's not quite what you came to hear this morning. But there will always be a continuous stream of places to be and problems to solve. Another news story that pulls on our hearts. Another family situation that threatens to exhaust us completely. But God is faithful. And God is present. And that's where I feel this leads us into thinking about wonder. Because just to acknowledge, talking about security and relinquishing control doesn't feel very wondrous, right? As I said, it fills me with a lot of fear. But as I said at the beginning, the human soul is constantly searching. Our needs are constantly rolling over from one thing to the next. 
And some of these are genuine needs and some of these are surface level needs. But if you've heard of that phrase, navel gazing, you'll understand it's that kind of picture of just looking down and looking in on yourself. And I think what Jesus knows is that when we are so self-inspecting, consumed by needs and desires, trying to gain or regain control, we fail and struggle to look up. And that's why it's so amazing to sing songs like Waymaker that say, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. By singing those words, we are looking up. Or St. Augustine puts it in a way that I really like. He says, our heart is restless until it rests in you. I'll read that again. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. And so therein lies the nuance in the difference between setting out to God our daily needs to actually saying, Lord, you are enough for me. Can you see the distinction there? We can come to God with our lists and he wants that, but there is something powerful and wonderful in saying, actually, Lord, you are enough. What I see in you is enough for me. And sometimes when we become so preoccupied with fulfilling our needs, we fail to notice the power and provision of God, particularly when that might look or work out differently to how we imagined. We might be so fixated on God providing this daily bread in our very specific, explicitly laid out way that we fail to give him space to do something surprising. And this isn't just a problem for our modern, enlightened, 21st century intellectual selves. In John 6, whenever Jesus performs a miracle or states a claim about himself, it creates a controversy. It leaves people to make a decision. As a result of this and many of the I am statements that will follow, people turn away from Jesus. Because what he revealed about himself to be wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they had in mind. They couldn't control the outcome. They didn't like the response that it might evoke from themselves. And therefore, they remained restless. And so this declaration of I and the bread of life requires a response from us. Which in turn sometimes requires a suspension of what we can control and instead to say, Jesus, you are enough. There's another worship song that I love, but the lyrics are, I find life when my knees hit the ground. And I think that nods to something of that submission that is when we give over what we know and understand and actually say, in you, God, I find life. He is provider. He is sustainer. But sometimes he provides and sustains in surprising ways. We are not promised control over our situations, but we are promised security. Security in our current situations and security in where our future and the lie, the, when our future lies and, the lie, and it lies 
I completely marked that up, didn't I? Security in where our future lies and where the future of others that we love lies. So it's a daily submission. A submission of, okay, Jesus, let's go. What do you have in store for today? Like the feeding of your sourdough starters regularly, it requires regular attentiveness to choosing Jesus as our sustenance leaning in to his will.